Now, last week, we joined all of the rest of Christendom in uh, taking our first step into the season of Advent. Now, I don't know if you know it, but for the Christian church, Advent is actually seen as the very beginning of the church calendar. So uh, you might say that last Sunday was actually our New Year's. So Happy New Year's to you all. And much like the mission accomplished by John the Baptist, Advent actually exists to prepare the way for the Lord. Preparations uh, are made to help us focus on the birth of Jesus Christ. And we tend to look at the birth of a baby, really, as the beginning, don't we? Something new that has never been before. And when we come to the manger at Bethlehem, we are introduced to a child with a very profound name. You, you see it right there in, in, on your bulletin, really, that comes out of the prophet Isaiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And suddenly, when we see that, we are confronted with a vision of one whose existence goes even before the very essence of time. Oh, we, we see a manger, uh, we see a baby in a manger, but in looking at that baby, we see so much more. In the Gospel of John, Jesus provides an explanation. In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus himself says, Anyone who has seen me has seen God the Father. Now, I would suggest that such a vision makes all of the difference in life. You've heard the phrase, you are what you eat. I would suggest a little bit of a change to that little phrase. You, you become what you think. You grow toward what you envision. At least that's the theorem proposed by Max Licato in his Christmas book entitled, God Came Near. There he quotes Jesus as he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And then he poses a question, an important question for us. What do you see? What sort of vision do you have that actually creates a shape for your soul? And then he provides in his book several options. You might find yourself with one such vision, one of popularity. Max writes, should a man see only popularity, he becomes a mirror reflecting whatever needs to be reflected in order to gain acceptance. Personal convictions change with the seasons. Individual beliefs come in all colors. He's a puppet on a thousand strings, a singer of a hundred songs with no song of his own, an appearance that changes to fit the setting so often that he forgets who he is set out to be. He is everyone (laughs) and no one, if the vision is popularity. Okay, if popularity isn't the vision that, that gives shape to your soul, then then what about other visions? What vision can determine that shape? How about power? Again, Max writes, he said, should a man see only power, he becomes a wolf, prowling and hunting and stalking the elusive game. People are his prizes. His quest is endless. There is always another world to conquer, another person to control. He, only, he who sees only power becomes an animal. Controlled not by a will from within, but by lurings from without. (laughs) Ask yourself, what vision is it that creates shape to the soul? Popularity? Power? How about pleasure? (laughs) Licato continues, he says, Should a man see only pleasure, he becomes a thrill seeker, alive only in bright lights, wild rides, and titillating entertainment. 
With lustful fever, he races from ride to ride, satisfying his insatiable passion for sensations only long enough to end up looking for another. He is driven by passion, willing to sell his soul, if need be, for one more rush, one more race of the pulse, one more sideshow that will take him away from the real world of promises broken and commitments to keep. Seekers of popularity, Licata writes, and power and pleasure, the results are still the same. Painful unfulfillment. So what vision is capable of giving shape to the soul, shape to your soul? How about the truth? Max concludes by saying, only in seeing his maker does a man truly become man. For in seeing his creator, man catches a glimpse for what he was intended to be. He who would see his God would then see the reason for all the details of life and death and the purpose of time, destiny, tomorrow, truth. All are questions within the reach of a man who knows his source. It is in seeing Jesus that man sees his very being. It is in Jesus that we find our source, our creator, the one who defines our very being. As Advent serves to prepare us for the coming of Christ, I suppose it's a good thing to ask questions. And and, and the one question that might come out is, what did Jesus do before he was born? Uh, That's a question that takes us right to the source of our life, the source of all life. It takes us, really beyond creation itself. The Gospel of John opens with those same words that Moses used in the account of creation. In the beginning, we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, well, in John chapter 1, verse 1, we read the same words, in the beginning. The difference between the two is that while for Moses, that's where he begins and then moves forward in time, when John says, in the beginning, a door is opened and we are transported back before time, beyond creation, before time and, and, and the galaxies even burst into flames and the earth began to spin and the mountains and the rivers and the oceans were actually carved into being. In John 1, verse 1, we read, in the beginning, and it guides us to a time before time where Jesus Christ, the babe of Bethlehem, existed with the Father and with the Spirit. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. You may wonder to yourself, where do I find Christ? Verse 14, and the Word, this Word, this Word spoken of in verse 1, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's Jesus. And so in John 1, we go to verse 2, and it says, He was with God in the beginning. And you ask yourself the question, well, then what was he doing? In verse 3, you see it right there. Through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. (laughs) It's no mistake that John would choose this name for Jesus, the Word. According to one commentator, William Barclay, this title, the Word, or Logos in the Greek, had a very clear definition. It was the name for the instrument through which God had made the world, the thought of God stamped upon the universe. 
What gave man reason, the power to think and the power to know, the creating and the guiding and the directing power of God, the power which made the universe and kept it going? It's the Word. So John went out to the Jews and the Greeks to tell them that in Jesus Christ, this creating, illuminating, controlling, sustaining mind of God had come to earth. And he came to tell them that men needed to no longer guess and grope as to the meaning of the life. But all they had to do was look at Jesus and then him see the mind of God. (laughs) Through him, we read, all things were made. And without him, nothing has been made that has been made. Jesus, this, this babe of Bethlehem, he was the master craftsman of all creation. He not only established the substance of the universe, but he authored what theologians would call the divine decrees, the laws by which the universe lives and moves and has its being. Not just the laws of physics, but the laws of the Spirit, the principles that determine good and evil and sin and salvation and life and death, laws that would govern our lives, your life and my life as well, and laws that determine the shape of the spiritual world and the contours of our spirit as well. Paul would echo this truth in Colossians chapter 1 when he writes, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created, both in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him, Jesus, and for him, Jesus, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. When St. Augustine wrote down his Christmas thoughts, he looked at Christmas and he saw this mystery, and then he wrote this of Jesus. He said, maker of the sun, He was then made under the Son. In the Father he remains, but from his mother he goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. Imagine that. The the baby that, that Mary had held in her arms was in fact the one who spun the galaxies into place. And the little infant lips that then cooed and cried once spoke words that brought something out of nothing. Creation itself. And those tiny little hands of that little tiny baby once etched the shape of mountains and the depths of valleys. (laughs) And the word became flesh to do what? To dwell among us. John would write, he he dwelt among us for a purpose. In verse 12, that those who believe in his name would be given the right to become the children of God. Born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God himself. You see, the laws of creation brought about the whole process of birth by natural descent, human decision, and a husband's will, but sin brought a seismic quake, a flaw to the universe that would separate every single human being, you and me, from God and his plan for our lives. And it would take the creator then to enact a new law, 
a law of recreation. And only the one who could create the universe from nothing really has the power then to create something out of you and me and all who would believe. And here John takes the occupation of Jesus, what he did before his birth, and then he brings it home, what he does for you and me right now. Look again at John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Light for you, life for me, life for everyone, every man, woman, or child who would see him and behold his glory and believe. Again, Max Licata wrote, he said, Christianity in its purest form is nothing more than seeing Jesus. And Christian service in its purest form is nothing more than imitating him who we see, to see his majesty and to imitate him. That is the sum of Christianity. Do you see Jesus? Are you prepared to see Jesus? A number of years ago, I came across the story of Judy Taylor, an English woman who was born blind, blind from her childbirth. She only saw shadows and infinite, but by the time she was seven years old, she was totally blind and there was just darkness. She lived her life in darkness. She, she, she struggled and pursued studies and she became a teacher. And then she met a wonderful man and was married and she gave birth to two delightful sons. When she was 52 years old, quite by accident, a doctor suggested that an experimental surgery had been developed that might possibly give her sight. So with fear and trembling, and she decided to take the risk, and she endured the surgery. And, and when the bandages were moved, she was almost afraid to open her eyes. The nurses treated her with care, and bit by bit, in the first hour, they undercovered the, law, uh, the gauze so that she could gradually adjust to the light. Finally, it was time Listen to her words. I I heard Ian, my my husband's footsteps coming up the ward. So many times I had listened for those steps and I could recognize him. And then his hand took mine. And I was looking at him. At my own husband for the very first time. I had always thought about him with his dark hair and his dark eyes, and somehow knew what he would look like. I wasn't surprised until suddenly I became aware I was looking straight into his eyes. I shall never forget it. The first time as an adult I caught someone's eye, and it was the one I loved more than life itself. And then behind him stood Adam and Ben, my boys. For years I had known them as only a mother can know, sensing every mood, anticipating every reaction. Adam was 15, Ben was 10, and I had to gather all those unseeing years in my arms and spin around and round with them until I could arrive at now and the breathtaking first ever sight of my two sons. And there they were, the three men who loved me, and it was overwhelming me with joy. You could never know how wonderful that moment could possibly be. And she's right. Those of us who have lived with eyesight all of our lives can only imagine how wonderful it must be be to be given the gift of sight. 
But Judy Taylor is not the only one who has spent a lifetime in darkness. The Bible says that without the light of the world, our world is but a, 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 a black cave. You and, I, you and I may witness the wonder of creation, but we will never see its majesty. We may gaze at the universe as it spins around us or at the intricacies of our lives as it takes us in hand, but, but we will never see the author of it at all until we actually see him. The word of God become flesh. We may be alive, but we have no idea what it is to have what John called the light of light with life within us. In him is life, and that life is the light of all mankind. Have you seen him? Do you know him? Something, something happens to a person who becomes a witness to the majesty of Jesus Christ. One glimpse of Jesus, one moment where it becomes utterly clear who he is and what he has done and what he has done for you. One glimpse, and you will, you will forever long to live in the wonder of his love. My prayer is that in this Advent season, that it will be by the divine surgery of the Holy Spirit that we would all receive our sight so that we might be able to see the one who has loved us even before the beginning of time, the one who has made you, the one who knows you, that Jesus would emerge from the shadows of our world, of your world, and take us by hand. And in the end, that we would add our voices to the choir of heaven and say, we, we are the eyewitnesses to his majesty. We, we are the children of his grace. This is my Advent prayer for all of us, even now.